Hey everybody, I am glad that you have decided to tune in to this service and this sermon today. I wish we were together, but uh, since we can't be together, I'm glad that you're here with us online. This is my garage office. Uh, welcome. I want to warn you that you might hear cars driving by or kids screaming upstairs or outside, both my children upstairs and neighbors outside. Uh, but now that I've warned you about that, I I just want to say that I I know that many of you are scared and struggling. It's a difficult time that we're all living through. And I think one of the things that causes fear is the worry that, you know, for the first time in our lives, we may not have the things that we need. Uh, the indicator of this is toilet paper. You know that there's hardly any toilet paper in the grocery stores. You've seen all the memes. You've read all the posts and articles about it. Toilet paper has been hoarded by people. And it's kind of funny to think about, but also at the same time, it's really indicative of this idea that I think we are worried that we won't have the things that we need. In the passage of scripture that we're going to look at today, Jesus doesn't have what he needs, and that's water. We are looking at the next of the sayings, the next saying of Jesus from the cross. This is the fifth one. There will be two more that we'll cover on Good Friday in a couple of weeks. But in this fifth statement, Jesus says, I thirst, and it's a declaration that he is in need of water. It reminds me of the thirstiest time that I have ever been, and that is when I was entering into my very first varsity basketball game. I was excited and nervous, you know, how those things go, and I went out onto the court, and immediately it was like all the saliva disappeared from my mouth. It, my entire mouth was just dry. They call it cotton mouth. Maybe you've experienced it. But so I was out there on the court. I didn't know if I was going to be able to breathe. And I didn't know if I was going to be able to play the one or two minutes I was going to play. I would have given anything for a glass of water. It's interesting that Jesus says he thirsts. It is the third to last statement of Jesus from the cross. And it's a really interesting statement because it's so different than all of the other statements. The final two statements will say right after this, they almost come in succession. At least most people believe that. They will be, it is finished and father into your hands, I commit my spirit. They feel so profound. They are so big and so weighty feeling. But here we read this statement from Jesus that is so simple and so human-like. And it begs the question, why does Jesus declare that he's thirsty while doing such an amazing thing, the thing that he's doing for the world, dying on a cross for sin? Let me read to you John 19, 28. This is where we read this saying, and it's an interesting verse because it tells us exactly why Jesus felt the need to say, I thirst. And we'll talk about that in just a few minutes. John 19, 28. Later, knowing that everything had been finished and so that scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. I thirst. It's so normal, right? It's so human. It is 
so different than the things we've already seen in this series. Father, forgive them. Today you will be with me, and here is your mother. These other sayings are so outward-focused, and they have such big implications for the people that he is talking to or about. But this one is centered on him, himself. And it is something that all of us would say if we were hanging on the cross. I could not probably find it in me to say, Father, forgive them as people crucified me. I would struggle to say, today you will be with me in paradise or to care about anybody but myself. I would find it difficult to focus on my mother and her needs over and above my own as I hung dying. But I could find it in me to say, I thirst. I thirst. This is what makes it such a strange statement from Jesus. It's different than all of the rest. But just because it's strange doesn't mean that it doesn't have incredible importance. And what's interesting here is that the context actually shows us the main reasons for Jesus uttering these words. That is different than all of the other sayings where we are left to our imaginations and to the context of scripture as a whole to figure out exactly why Jesus says the things that he say, says. But here we see the reasons. Later, knowing that everything had now been finished. Jesus' declaration of thirst is in some ways a declaration of his victory. It may be that now the mental battle is over and so he turns his attention to his own physical suffering. Last week we read his words, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And that pointed to the suffering of his soul, but I thirst points to the torture of his body. But on top of that, it points to the finality of being forsaken. He was wrestling with whether or not he was going to go through with it. Was he really going to face the forsakenness of the Father? But now he has made his decision. He has felt the full weight of hell. He has felt the full weight of being abandoned by the God of heaven. He did it. Sin has been paid for and now only needs to be put to death. We see a similar story in Matthew 4, or a similar ending to a story in Matthew 4. In Matthew 4, Jesus goes out into the wilderness and there he faces temptation at the hand of Satan. Three times Satan tempts him and three times Jesus fights off the temptation. Then after it is all over, at the end of the story, Jesus says, I'm hungry. He's hungry. It's like the, the weight of his soul has, has been feeling all of, uh, of the temptation to not do what God has called him to do. But, but when he's finally realized that he's going to win, that he's going to win the battle, he then is able to turn towards his physical pain and suffering. That is what hap is happening here. When he sees that everything is accomplished, he then says, I thirst, I thirst. It also tells us that this is done so that scripture might be fulfilled. Last week I told you that what he said from the cross, uh, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me, was from Psalm 22. That was verse 1, but if you were to continue on down to verse 15, Psalm 22, 15 says this, my mouth is dried up like a potsherd and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. 
It makes sense that Jesus' thirst naturally flows from this psalm. He's declared, verse 1, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And now he, he shows that he's fulfilling all of the prophecy there. He is thirsty. This is in line with Jesus' entire life. All of Jesus' life, he has been fulfilling prophecy. If you don't know what prophecy is, in this context, it is promises that were made by God for the salvation of the world. God said that he would send somebody who would make things right for all people. And he would send somebody who would set people free from their sins. I think of Isaiah 53, and in Isaiah 53, God declares that a suffering servant will come, and although he will not sin at all, he will suffer as a sinner for the sins of others. But there's lots of promises like that. Promises that show what this coming Savior will be like and exactly what he will do. And throughout Jesus' life, he has been fulfilling those prophecies. He was born of a virgin. He was born in Bethlehem, but he was brought out of Egypt. He spoke in parables. He received praise from children even when men hated him. His zeal for the temple drew people to him. He entered Jerusalem on a donkey. He was betrayed by a friend. He was numbered amongst the transgressors. They cast lots for his garments. None of his bones were broken. And in fact, the very year that his ministry started was predicted by a prophet named Daniel centuries earlier. But as Jesus hangs on the cross, he realizes there is one more prophecy in his life to fulfill. And so he utters the words, I thirst. Listen to Psalm 69, 21. This is the final prophecy that needs to be fulfilled in his life. Psalm 69, 21 says, They put gall in my food and gave me vinegar for my thirst. And so Jesus declares, I thirst. A single word in Greek becomes the final word of his life's prophetic fulfillment. Now, there's more to fulfill in death than resurrection. But in his life, this is the final prophecy. This is the final statement about his coming in life that needs to be fulfilled while he is still living, before he is dead, before he comes back to life. Again, he says, I thirst. Listen to what happens in John 19, 29. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant and lifted it to Jesus' lips. A group of soldiers become the instrument of the fulfillment of God's prophetic word in Psalm 69, 21, a psalm that was written centuries before Jesus lived. Now, a lot has been made about these soldiers. Some say they're an example of how we should respond to Jesus. Listen, or, or look at Matthew 25, 42 through 46 this week, and you'll see how that can be true. But others say that even in their compassion, they continue to mock the Savior. I don't know what to make of these men, but I do have a suspicion that they are indicative of how we should all be when we listen to the words of Jesus it seems that the soldiers who stood next to Jesus' cross are moving closer to understanding who Jesus is and why he is dying. Listen to this. First, we read that they crucify him. They drive nails into his wrists and into his ankles. Then we read that they divide his clothes amongst their, themselves. And now we read that they are giving him vinegar. 
In Matthew 27, 54, after Jesus breathes his final breaths, after he is dead and gone, the very moment he dies, in fact, we read this, when the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and all that had happened, they were terrified and exclaimed, surely he was the son of God. They move from torturing Jesus to being indifferent towards Jesus to showing compassion towards Jesus to recognizing that Jesus was the Son of God. It's an interesting line, and and I don't know how it corresponds with the words that Jesus is saying on the cross, but I can tell you that this has been my hope for the series. That as you look and hear the words of Jesus that he utters while dying for the sins of the world, that you would move. From, from maybe rejecting Jesus to being indifferent towards Jesus to being compassionate towards Jesus to then accepting Jesus for all that he is. Even if you are a Christian, I hope that through this series you have been moved to more fully embrace Jesus for who he, who he is and all that he has done for you and for me. We do know, speculation aside, that Jesus uses these soldiers to fulfill prophecy. Now I want you to listen to this. Uh, in Luke 24:44, we read a story. A story where Jesus has come back to life and he is talking to some of his disciples, but they don't recognize who he is. And, and this is what we read. He said to them, this is Jesus talking to his disciples, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets and the Psalms. Jesus says, look, everything that happened in my life or a lot of what happened in my life, it was predicted, it was told. Listen to Gold from Golgotha, a book that I've quoted a lot in this series. No mistake need be made in identifying him if the scriptures are heeded. The credentials he bore were of such a nature that no other character in history could possibly be mistaken for him. This cry, the cry, I thirst, marked him as the promised savior of men. Gold from Golgotha goes on to say, For it is not his appeal to the crowd nor his surpassing sympathy, but it is his atoning sacrifice that meets human needs. Strangely enough, in his call of attention to his manifest exhaustion and thirst, he presents himself most convincingly as the hope of man. The fulfillment of prophecy in Jesus' life, right up until his very final words, shows that he is the Messiah or the promised Savior of God. Here's the reality. No other person can fulfill these prophecies. It's not even possible now and no other person fulfilled them before Jesus. And what it all leads to is this. If you believe that there's a need for a savior, you better believe that it's Jesus. If you believe that there's a need for a savior, you better believe that it is Jesus. I think that there's some of you maybe watching this stream this morning that uh, that sense somewhere deep in your soul that you need forgiveness, that you need the forgiveness of God. You recognize that you have done things that are wrong. You have done things that you deserve punishment for, maybe even eternally. That is a recognition that you need a savior. 
the good news is that Jesus came. He fulfilled all the prophecies. He is the Savior. And I hope that you embrace him as such. But there's other things about these words, I thirst, that go beyond just this immediate context of Jesus recognizing all things as completed and recognizing that one more scripture needed to be fulfilled. There is no description of Jesus' physical torture and suffering while he's hanging on the cross. All we have is I thirst. Let me be clear, Jesus suffered intensely and horribly while he was on that cross. And I thirst is indicative of all of that suffering. It's as if Jesus now, as I said before, turns from his spiritual torture to his physical torture. And he summarizes it all in I thirst. Recognize, friends, that when Jesus hung on that cross, it was not just a spiritually difficult thing, but it was also a physically difficult thing. Why is that important? I don't think we can even begin to understand what it means for Jesus to pay hell for us. But we can understand and we can feel what it, is, what it means for him to face physical torture on our behalf. While we may not know what it means and, and we don't know what it means to be crucified, we do know what it's like to thirst. And it is important for us to be thankful that our God chose to thirst on our behalf. But there's even more. There's even more here. When Jesus says, I thirst, it follows from this statement of being forsaken by God. And earlier in his ministry, he had talked about how the presence of God is akin to having our thirst satisfied. In the book of John primarily and in John's writings, we read a lot about this topic of water and thirst and God quenching it in the person of Jesus. I should start with this story of a rich man and another man named Lazarus who was a beggar. Jesus tells this story and he tells the story of the rich man going to a place that is like hell and Lazarus going to a place that is like heaven. And then we read this from the rich man. Have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. The idea of hell is presented by Jesus in part as being a place of thirst. Jesus in other places says things that connect to this same topic. In John 4, 14, he's talking to a Samaritan woman at a well and this is what we read. Whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And later, John writing in Revelation about what heaven will be like, says this in John seven sixteen and 17, never again will they hunger, never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat down on them, nor any scorching heat, for the lamb at the center of the throne will, throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. What is it about God that quenches our thirst, our spiritual thirst. That is, what is it that allows for Jesus to make these declarations that we will never thirst again? What is it that allows John to paint a picture of heaven in terms of having our thirst quenched? It's the presence of God. 
Jesus explains that the, the celebration of Sukkot, something that we love celebrating at our church. In John 19, 38 and 39, as he is celebrating that Jewish festival, he says, whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. And John explains this. He says, by this, he meant the spirit or the presence of God. You see, when Jesus says, I thirst, I think he means it physically. But I think that that physical thirst is also indicative of the incredible spiritual thirst that he is facing as he is hanging on the cross, forsaken by the God of the universe, his Father in heaven. His thirst for water parallels his thirst for God. And it reminds us of our thirst for God. What's so amazing is that Jesus is hanging on that cross thirsty in order that we would no longer have to thirst for the presence of God, for a relationship with God. Here's what we believe as Christians. We believe that Adam and Eve sinned against God. The first man and woman chose to be disobedient to God. We believe that they did that by eating fruit from a tree that God told them not to eat from. The hunger of man introduced sin into the world. All people after Adam and Eve have chosen to reject God in their own ways. They've chosen to be disobedient to him. They've chosen to sin. This caused a separation with God that could not be overcome by us. We could not enter into a relationship with God on our own. We could not spend eternity with God on our own. We were stuck in our sin. And so God came down in the person of Jesus. Jesus lived sinlessly. He lived perfectly. And at the end of that sinless, perfect life, he was nailed to a cross for our sin. God rejected him from heaven and he was thirsty, both physically and spiritually, because now he was separated from God as we had been. You see, his thirst here is for the satisfaction of our thirst. He is thirsty so that we no longer have to be thirsty in our souls. The hunger of man brought sin into the world and the thirst of the Savior brings forgiveness that allows for our thirst to be quenched forevermore. I believe that each of us deep in our souls have a thirst for God. Maybe you've never even recognized that thirst. Maybe you've just thought, man, I'm tired of struggling along in this life. Maybe you've just felt like I'm guilty and I I can't get over my guilt. Maybe maybe you've just felt empty. A lot of people use that word. I I would say that maybe, I, I would say that probably that is a thirst for God. It's a thirst to have a relationship with God. It's a thirst to be in the presence of God. And Jesus thirsts physically and spiritually on the cross so that you and me can enter into a relationship with God and our thirst, the thirst of our souls, can be quenched by entering into the family of God. But there's more. Charles Spurgeon says that Jesus' thirst is an ensign of his humanity. What does that mean? It means that it is indicative of the fact that Jesus was both fully man and fully God. 
often in Christian theological circles, we make a big deal about the divinity of Jesus because it's the thing that people reject. But it's important that we make a big deal out of the humanity of Jesus as well. Why, you might ask? Well, there's a lot of reasons, but there's one in particular that I think is important for now and all that we are facing. Listen to Hebrews four fourteen through 16. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. Listen to this. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. His thirst reminds us of his humanity and his humanity reminds us that he understands all that we are going through. I'm so thankful for that. We're dealing with a lot right now, aren't we? I mean, we're dealing with things that we've never dealt with before. I think a lot of us feel lonely and isolated, and abandoned, and rejected. A lot of us feel hopeless and scared, not knowing what tomorrow is going to bring. A lot of us are worried and confused with all of the information that we're reading constantly online. And as Jesus says, I thirst on the cross, it's a reminder that he, that he experienced as he walked this earth everything that we experience. I mean, listen to this. Jesus grew He got tired, he hungered, he slept, he marveled, he wept, he rejoiced, he groaned, and he thirsted. And because of that, if you were paying attention to that Hebrews passage, it it means that we can come to God and know that he understands what we are going through and we can expect to find the grace that we need and the mercy that we need for help in our time of need. I would just say to you, very practically speaking, as you think about the thirst of Jesus and you consider all that you're struggling with right now, that it should remind you, it should compel you to come to God through prayer, asking for help to get you through. I think that there's a million things that we can do in these scary times. Oh, I think a lot of us, I, I, I've been guilty of this. We're just you know, turning on Netflix or reading all of the news or seeing the next funny Facebook post, all because we're scared. We don't want to think about it. But, but when Jesus declared, I thirst, it reminded us that the best thing that we can do when we struggle is come to him in prayer. This statement, this small statement is, is, is so important. It's, it's so normal, but it's so important. It, it, it's a sign that Jesus accomplished what he came to accomplish, uh, an offering of salvation to each and every one of us. It, it, it points to the fact that Jesus fulfilled all prophecy, that he is the Savior that God promised It shows us that we can have the the thirst of our souls quenched through a relationship with God. It reminds us of that. And it reminds us that Jesus understands all that we are going through. But here, 
I think is the most important conclusion for us to understand from this one single statement. Jesus thirsted so that we don't have to. Jesus thirsted so that we don't have to. I think about how thirsty I was playing basketball all those years ago and how great a drink of water would have been, but I couldn't have that on the court, and so I, I felt a little panicky, like I don't have water and I need water. When Jesus says, I thirst, this is what it, this is what it tells me. This is what's so important about it for you and I. It tells us that spiritually speaking, There is no need that has not been met. Jesus thirsted so that our thirst, our deep spiritual thirst, could be quenched by a relationship with God. I hope that if you are not a Christian, right now God will compel you to give your life to Him and to have the thirst of your soul quenched. It it will not be my mediocre sermon that will compel you to embrace the salvation of Jesus. It will be God's Holy Spirit. But I hope right now you will listen and you will ask yourself, is God calling me into a relationship with him? And if he is, I hope that you would get on your knees and you would say, Jesus, I don't understand it all, but I I feel dehydrated in my soul. And I need you to quench, quench that incredible thirst. I believe, Jesus, that you came, that you are the Savior, that you died for my sins, that you came back to life, and I will give you my life as I accept that gift of salvation. Man, if you'll do that, I'm telling you, I know from experience that you will feel water pouring over your soul in a way that you have never experienced before in your life. But for those of us that are Christians, there's application here too. As with all of these sayings from the cross, we need to be people who are thankful to Jesus, who are worshiping Jesus for all that he suffered on our behalf. He took our place, man. We deserve to be eternally separated from God, eternally thirsty for the presence of God. But Jesus suffered it for us so that we might drink of living water. And so worship him this morning and always. But on top of that, I think all of us are running a little dry right now. All of us feel a a, a little thirsty because of everything that's going on around us. We need, we need the living waters that Jesus has given us. And so instead of turning to Netflix, instead of trying to make a million Zoom calls instead of reading all the things on social media. I hope that this week you will turn to Jesus and you will spend time with Jesus and you will allow God to pour his living water into your heart through his word, through prayer, through meditation, through all of the ways that he does that in your life. Jesus thirsted so that you don't have to. So why spend your life thirsting? Let me pray that you won't. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you were willing to feel thirst. It is one of the worst feelings, God, physically speaking. But I know, God, I know that that in our souls we feel it too. 
And I pray, Lord, that this morning everybody who's watching this live stream would would turn their attention to you, God, and they would allow you to wash over them, God, and you would quench the thirst of their souls, whether that means them giving their lives to you for the first time or them returning to your presence, God, through your word, through meditation, through prayer and all of that. I pray, God, that that the people who are watching right now, God, would not try to be satisfied by all the things that that don't truly bring satisfaction, God. I know so many people who've spent their lives trying to quench their thirst for you with other things that can never satisfy. And I pray, God, that the people watching right now, that, that that would not be true of them, but they would turn to you, Lord. You who offer living waters, who offer water that will quench our thirst forever by your incredible presence and all that it gives us, the grace, the forgiveness, the hope, the peace, the love, the joy, the goodness, I could go on, God. I thank you, Jesus, for coming, for dying for our sins, and I pray, God, I pray that we would embrace the fullness of that this week and always. I ask these things in Jesus' name, amen.